Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Welcome to, to Jubilee. Today you are going to hear one of the most important things that you're going to hear in your entire life. I know that sounds like an overstatement. Maybe it is a little bit. But for some of you, uh, it really is going to, to change your life uh, because we're going to examine the foundation of, of how you view your relationship with God and how you view the basis for your relationship with God is the lens through which you base all of your relationships. So this is a big deal. Um, so if you don't have a proper understanding of your relationship with God, um, it's going to cause a lot of pain in your other relationships, whether that be with your spouse, your kids, coworkers, friends, whatever it is. Uh, this is a big deal. And there are two major categories of relationships. There are grace-based relationships, and there are works-based relationships. And we're going to talk about those two. And this is what Paul's trying to unearth with the Galatians. And he is very, uh, he's very strong language um, to communicate this. And, and if you have a grace-based relationship, this is what this means. It means all the love, all the mercy, all the blessing, all the approval, all the encouragement, all the help is the starting line. So we start with love. We start with approval. We start with uh, affection. If you are in a works-based relationship, the love and the blessing and all that may come, but it is the finish line. It's not the starting line. So when you, so I've done a few, officiated a few weddings, and sometimes people get the vows wrong. The, they'll say vows, but what they really say, they'll say like, you know, you know, I, um, I first, you know, I, I met you and, you know, wasn't really sure. And, and then you did this and you did this and you did this. And, and now I love you. That's not what marriage is. That's not what the kind of love that we're looking for. What we're looking for is the kind of love. This is what, this is what true marriage vows are. I will love you regardless of what happens in our life. That's a vow. That's a grace-based relationship. It's based upon a covenant. It's based upon a, a promise. Uh, a work says if there's a works-based relationship says if there's going to be love, there's going to be approval, there's going to be any relationship, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to produce some results, and at the end of, all, of it all, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be um, judgment, and we're not really sure how it's going to happen. Some of you grew up in workspace homes, performance-orientated, fear-based, punitive, law-based environments, and it was very discouraging. I was talking to someone recently who, um, man, that you, they grew up in one of those homes, and they, they, they were recounting this time where they got a, a 4.0 on their report card. And, and the response from their dad uh, of hearing the news that they got a 4.0 is, well, we'll see what happens next semester. That, that's, a, that's a works-based environment that, you know, if I fall short of perfection, there's going to be a review, there's going to be a consequence, there's going to be criticism, fear, law, demand, expectation, overwhelming, exhausting, Frustrating, And when we get in those kinds of relationships, two things happen. We either grow, we grow arrogant, I'm better, I'm better, or it's that we, we, with, we totally withdraw and we quit, we give up, we go in a completely opposite direction. 
grace-based. It's, there's a zone of safety. Do you love me? Yes. Do you approve of me? Yes. Well, what if I fail? I still love you. I still approve of you. And these are the relationships. These grace-based relationships are the ones that we instinctively run to and we run away from the other kinds, the works-based relationships. The relationship that God wants to have with us is a grace-based relationship. If your view of God, if your view of God, and Paul's using this language, if your view of God is that you are on trial for his approval, and maybe you wouldn't use this language, but you just instinctively feel this way, that you're on, I'm on trial for his, be, his approval, I'm, I'm looking for him to approve of me, that is not a view of God that's motivated by the Holy Spirit, hear me, it's motivated by a demonic spirit. And that's not an oversight. He uses the word, he says, he tells, he communicates to the Galatians in the, in the top of the chapter, who has bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? Some of you might remember the, the, the sitcom from the 60s, Bewitched. Um, and uh, she, she wiggled her nose. And, and she could, she could uh, control how, what people saw or they could affect their memory. And this is what Paul's, Paul's using this language. Somebody has come, come, someone's come along and has put you under manipulation. They're, they're, they're causing you to see something that is, it is not true. That's why he asked the question, um, uh, who has bewitched you? You're doing so well. I mean, you received the grace of God and now you think it's up to you. Like God gave you kind of a head start. He kind of ruined your, he kind of like got rid of your past. And now it's up to you. You've, you've changed. Like you've, you, you're, 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 the basis of the relationship has been turned upside down. God always wants a grace-based relationship with you. He always is looking for that. That is Paul's fight in Galatians in this book. He is fighting or opposing this, this alternate view of God. He's not fighting against the Galatians. He is fighting for the Galatians and he is fighting for grace. At Jubilee Church, we want to fight for grace. False teachers come in. False teachers can come into your life and say that there's a standard, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a manual, there's a, there's a clipboard that, you know, we've got, we've got a list here and we will be judging your behavior and performance, even on good things. I mean, let, let's give legalism People who fall into legalism want to do well. They want to do good things. And I think we have to understand that um, to understand why it can be so deceiving. Because in my experience, I would say that some of us fall into this trap all of the time. But I think all of us fall into it at least some of the time. It comes from a desire uh, to do well. But what ends up happening is you, you, you get, it gets tricky because you put on these different rules and if you, this is a standard you have to meet. So Paul says in, in verse three, he says, are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Meaning like God did all the, so God did this in the beginning, but now it's up to you to get it right. And we have to be careful. We live in a culture that preaches and oozes legalism. It preaches narcissism, you, and it preaches Legalism. If you don't say it right, post it right, do it right, you know, you're excluded. And what happens is, and what this has built, it's built a, a culture where people are more and more and more and more getting isolated. 
because they, they know what they're really like and they see the standard that's out there. And this is the standard that's out there. This is the standard that be projected. So I need to maintain this standard and I can't really let people know who I am on the inside. And so it, it produces, legalism produces this isolation. Grace, God has grace for you, which leads to community, being loved, being made whole. Here's the problem. So when, when, you, when you project, the, so it, Romans 12, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, we want love to be genuine. In Christian community, we want love to be genuine. We want to be authentic and real and to be known and to be loved. And, and, to, and starting off that section, he says, let love be genuine, or another way of saying it, the negative way of interpreting that, which is what the NIV does, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. And that word hypocrisy, the Greek word used there, was a theatrical word used in that ancient culture, which means to put on the mask. So let's, let's not be the kind of people who come into an environment like this or any environment in our lives and we, and we put on a mask, we put on the pretend us. So we project an image of ourselves that isn't really true. Because here's what happens if you do that. And this is why this is so devastating to your life is that any, it'll be impossible for you ever to receive love, right? Because any affection uh, that goes your way, you'll think subconsciously or in reality, you'll think they only love the pretend me. If they really knew who I was, they would not be showing me affection. So in reality, even when people show you affection, it causes you to withdraw all the more. God wants a grace-based relationship with you. It's that place, it's that zone of safety that you need and want. And, and we want to be a community that expresses that. And the way that we'll be that community is that we're receiving this from God. This, again, the relationship, we, the way we view how God relates to us is how we relate to others. And so we want to give that and we want to be that, uh, that I, yeah, you, you may be a total, you may, your life may be messed up, but that, that's not the basis for which I love you. Okay, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't act like the way I want you to act. You don't, you don't vote the way I want you to vote. You don't, you don't, you don't, you're not the kind of, but... My relationship with you, my love for you, my approval of you is not based upon your behavior. My, my approval of you isn't based upon what you say and how you perform. My, my, the basis for our relationship is grace. The starting line is love. The starting line is approval. We don't work our way up with each other to approval, to love, to acceptance. We start there. That's why Paul would say to um, uh, the Colossians and talking about loving each other, he says, you got to bear with each other. Because you're starting with this basis of like, you're not getting around people who, 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 may, who may, they may rub you wrong, but you start with the basis of approval, love, and acceptance. So how do you fall into legalism? How do you know? Here, here it is. This is the cheat code. Am I no longer excited about what Jesus has done? That, that is the line. The, 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 the line between have I fallen into legalism 
or have I fallen, am I fallen into grace, is where, where's your passion for what Jesus has done for you? And I'll explain why that's true. If you've fallen into legalism, again, you, you've, you're no longer excited about what Jesus has done, and you're actually disappointed in yourself. And you're disappointed in others. Others have let you down. And so that's how you think. You're not excited about Jesus. You're, 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 you're discouraged about your own performance. And so then you have this thought, oh, I know what the problem is. I need a bigger and better house. I need a bigger and better job. I need different friends. I need a different wife. I need a different life. I need, there's something going on out here. Community is taking from me. Serving is taking from me. My family is taking from me. And God's taking from me. The gospel is about Jesus. Legalism is about you. In, in the gospel, in grace, where our focus and our attention is all on Jesus, it's about what he's done. When we fall into legalism, we think about what we've done and our performance and who we are and do I measure up and do they measure up? Yes, we are the problem, but we are never the solution. And this is important to note because we don't fix a problem by focusing on the problem. We fixed a problem by focus on the solution. Who is what? Hebrews, the unknown author of Hebrews says, and let us run this, let us run with endurance the race that is life that God's put in front of us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. God in his grace, he made our brains this way. Like a little thought experiment. Uh, don't think of an elephant. <laughs> How many here thought of an elephant? You can't help but do that. Your, your brain just does that. Uh, we, we reinforce the problem when we focus on the problem, which is us. My life isn't working. I'm all alone. Everyone always disappoints me. I can't get it right. They can't get it right. And it just, that, that doesn't get you anywhere. Um, do you know how you live in the grace and mercy of God? is you focus on the grace and mercy of God. That's why we come together every week to, to sing songs and to, to worship and, and to be, oh, yeah, that's right. This is, this is God, and he's big, and my problems are, exist, but, man, they don't compare to who God is. And so we read our Bibles. We, ah, oh, man, like, who, this is who God is. This is why we get in group. We want to stir each other on to love and good deeds. What are those love and good deeds? Well, it's all about pointing each other to Jesus, the psalmist in Psalm 73 uh, says, but when I thought to how to understand this, this being life, this is being about like why I'm disappointed, why I'm discouraged, why nothing seems to work. It seemed to me a wearisome task. I mean, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you frustrated? It is a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. And when I got my attention on God, then think, ah, the grace and mercy of Jesus. Jesus says, this is important. I wish I had this on the screen. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, follow the order. Come to me and I will give you rest. You don't go to rest to get Jesus. 
you go to Jesus to get rest. I, I just need some quiet time so, so I can get to Jesus. I just need to step back so I can get to Jesus. That, that is a works-based view of how your relationship works. I've got to do something to get Jesus. I've got to go to some place. No, come to Jesus. And that's where rest is. Rest is wherever Jesus is. You don't go to rest to get Jesus. You go to Jesus to get rest. Because grace is not opposed to work per se. It's opposed to the flesh. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to your flesh. It's opposed to you. It, in other words, it's not by doing good works, because in reality, the Bible, uh, Paul says to the Ephesians that we were created in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. When was that? Who knows? A long time ago. Before the, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, that's confusing. I thought good works was a problem. No, it's not. It's not doing good works that's the problem. It's reliance on those good works that's the problem. It's the basis. I, 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 I start from love and approval and acceptance. And I, and I, and I, I launch out into a life of, of good works and giving my life away because I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't need to be approved by anyone. So when we get caught up in like, oh, I got to do well in my job and I got I to do well at church and I got to do well over here and I got to do well over here and this and this, and we get exhausted. When God of the universe says, no, you've been approved, you've been accepted, you've been freed. The God of the universe has freed you, has saved you. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't have to prove anything to my mom. I don't have to prove anything to my boss. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I've been loved and accepted eternally by him. Paul said something strange. He says, I am who I am by the grace of God. And he says, I work harder than any of you. Grace actually motivated a life full of good works. So it's not that we would launch out into a life of giving our life away and serving. And I mean, you know, Jesus, he literally gave his life away. We get in this dichotomy. It's, it's the reliance on these things. Tim Keller. Tim Keller, if you don't know who Tim Keller is, he is the Johnny Cash of, of pastors. You guys know who Johnny Cash is? Uh, okay. So Johnny Cash is, is the guy that everybody rips off to. Everybody today like, tries to rip him off and then, and then spin it off as his own. Pat, this is a little pastor insider thing. All of us pastors, we, we try to steal from Tim Keller and then spin it off on us around. You know what? I don't have anything to prove to you, so I'm just going to like live in grace and give him the credit. He says this. He says, if you have to obey laws in order to be right with God and with others, then that law is something that you fear. The next thing you do is you try to box in the law to make it manageable you make a list of acceptable sins and not acceptable sins. And it basically boils down to external behavior and matters of the heart. 
It's okay, yeah, I don't murder anyone. But what about the hate? You know, don't, don't, don't commit adultery, don't do those kinds of things, but what about the, the lust that's cultivating? Yeah, you know, I'm, you know I, 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 I pray and I, and I come in the service and I worship, but in reality, my life is just about me. You've got a list of acceptable sins and not acceptable sins. And you try to manage that list. And if you're doing that list well, So we start well, Paul says, but then we, we get off track because um, we're trying to progress. And Have you ever heard someone say something like this? I'm just trying to be a better Christian. Just trying to be. And maybe that's a question on, on your mind. I, I know I've, I've probably asked that question too. You know, I want to be better. I want to do better. I want to be a better Christian. And while this desire is understandable, if not commendable, uh, the premise will only mislead you. As Greg Nelson said last week, you can't be a better Christian, but you could have a deeper experience of being a Christian. What does that mean? Well, Paul says something in Colossians 2 that I think gives better, better language to this. He said, Paul said, therefore, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. So how'd you start? Well, you started with, I'm a terrible leader of my life. Every impulse and instinct I've ever had has been wrong, and it's sinful. I've commit, I'm, by nature, I'm by nature a, a, a sinner, and I, and I commit acts of sin. So bad that Jesus had to die for me, but I know he loved me so much that he was glad to do it. And he rose to new life, and now I have this entirely new life. That's how you got into this relationship. Now keep, keep, Maintain that, which is, you, you, I'm a terrible leader of my life. I need Jesus. I'm a terrible leader of my life. I need Jesus. He's done this. Wow, he's done this. So it shouldn't be like this, you know, like, because we, we, we can collect these facts about God, and quite frankly, we grow bored of these facts. When reality is, this is like, it's amazing what he's done. I mean, we were under righteous judgment, right? Everything we did was, was a contradiction to what is good for us. Jesus, outside of us, without our permission, without even our request, he died for us in history 2,000 years ago. He demonstrated his love. You can't add anything to that. All you can add to that is. In pursuit and wanting to know him more. I want to know him more. I want to experience him more. I I want to to feel that. I want to go after that. So he's just stressing this This is all about him. And he's saying this is is the way it's always been. Even Abraham. Because they made a big deal of Abraham. Abraham was just some dude. Could have been some guy smoking pot in the hill or something like that. He's just some guy. He was not circumcised. He did not fall. The law had not even come for another four or 500 years. 
He just sovereignly came to Abraham. So I'm just going to bless you. Why? Because I want to. You're 75 years old. I'm going to bless. I'm going to make you the father of multitudes. I'm going to bless every. In fact, not only that, I'm going to bless you. But I want you to know this: through your seed, all of the people of the world are going to be blessed. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed because of you. And it just says that. Just like Abraham, this is us, just like Abraham believed God, it was credited to him righteousness. He just believed. And then Genesis, it's referencing Genesis 15, which just kind of helps. I'll, I'll show you this really quick. Genesis 15, 8 through 11, then we'll bring this to a close. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Because after all, I'm kind of old. Sarah's old too. I don't have any kids. How am I going to be a blessing? How am I going to be blessed? How am I going to be a blessing? How will I know that your promise is true? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them into, arranged them in halves, opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. What in the world does that mean? Um, in our culture, we have, we, you know, to make a contract binding, two parties have to sign, and then, you, then usually there's a notary if it's important to make it official. Um, similar, they, what they would do is um, two parties, anytime they made an agreement, they would do exactly what just happened. They would cut these animals in half, and then they would both walk through them saying, if I withdraw, if I don't make good on this contract, then what happened to these animals may it happen to me. Now, stay with me. Read verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. The blazing torch, that's the presence of God. Okay. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What just happened? What just happened is that God walked through, but Abram didn't. Actually, Abram was sleeping. What does that mean? God is saying, this is my covenant. Abram didn't do anything. I am responsible for this relationship. I am taking complete responsibility for relationship. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't sustain this. I sustain this. You didn't originate this. I originated this. That's why Paul was able to say the, the Philippians, he who began a good work in you. He, he will complete it. Not us. This whole thing that we're in is because of him and is sustained by him. He is the author and he is the finisher and the completer. Well, what do we do? We worship. We're in awe. He's done it. He's sustained it. That's why he says in Mark 10, he says, uh, Jesus said, uh, the son of man has not come to be served. It's a polite way of saying, you don't have anything to give me. 
nothing. I have come to serve you. You need what I have to offer. He is the giver, and we are the receiver. And your flesh is opposed to that. What started with the Spirit has now become a thing in the flesh. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get to Genesis 5, or uh, Galatians 5. So, but how do we forget? Let me just bring this to a close. How do we forget? Well, we intellectualize what Jesus did on the cross. We intellectualize. We don't, we don't see it as a concrete reality. But Jesus died on a cross in a place on a date. He died in an actual place. He died on an actual day. And he did that for your and mine actual sins. He did that. That's happened for our behalf. And then this concrete reality, it stays intellectually, it doesn't stay in our head. But in, oh, sorry, it stays in our head, it never gets to our hearts. So, so the first verse in, in Galatians 3 helps us know how we get out of this. He, he says, he says, I, he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, Christ Jesus was, was publicly portrayed as crucified right before your very eyes. Now, you have to know this, the history of this. The Galatians, all, not all the Galatians saw him crucified. So he wasn't saying, oh, you were there when it happened. What he was saying, it was portrayed to you before your very eyes, before the eyes of your heart. So this is something you have to understand about the, the Hebrew culture is that they thought differently the way that we think how we describe things. So, so Paul says this to the Ephesians in chapter one. He says, my prayer is that the eyes of your, not your eyes up in your mind, your eyes of your heart might be opened. So when he was saying it was portrayed before your very eyes, it was like, man, this is something that you, that you absorbed and, and you took in. And, and because you took it in, you lived it out. And that's what we have to do. And it's confusing because we're in this world. It's like, okay, save me, but I know I'm supposed to do certain things. And I know I'm supposed to forgive. And I, and I know I'm supposed to do this. And I know I'm supposed to do that. I, Stephen, in, in Acts 7, Stephen was a, a leader in the early church. He's probably, this is probably the best example of how this practically plays out. Like, how do we... Start grace-based and continue grace-based. How do we do that? Steve, Stephen is a great example. He was, um, he was a powerful leader in the early church, um, and he ended up becoming the first uh, martyr that we know of anyway. And we pick up the story in Acts 7.55. He says this, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, just a little um, Bible background. Anytime post-resurrection, when, when it describes Jesus, it describes him mainly as sitting down. And I saw Jesus sitting down. And what we don't know is if he's literally sitting down, but what that word, what that means is, is that he has authority. Any, anytime anyone sat down, it meant that they're in charge. 
So when you see that in the Bible, don't just think, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus is sitting down. Like, you know, he's taking a break. Like, no, he, you're saying like he's a person of authority. That's what it's saying. When we say right now he's at the right hand of God sitting down, we're saying that he is in authority. But here he's standing up. Why is he standing up? He's standing up in court. He's standing up as our high priest. And that was what, that's what Stephen's sermon is about. He's seeing Jesus standing up in the courtroom of heaven on his behalf. In verse 59, it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. So in the middle of being murdered, he, he, yelled, he cries out to God, forgive them. What Stephen doesn't do is says, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to forgive them. So I'm going to forgive them. That's what Christians do. That did not motivate his behavior. What motivated his behavior is he looked at the gospel. He looked at Jesus as his high priest. Standing in the gap on his behalf. Calling down to Stephen. From the, from the, to, that he, you are righteous, that you are loved, and you are approved of. Even in the face of everybody else literally condemning him, he was able to look at the gospel. He's able to look at the grace and mercy of God and said, that's the only voice that matters. So now I, I, can, I can forgive. It's pretty varsity when you can forgive someone when they're killing you. Wouldn't you agree? It wasn't effort. It wasn't, it wasn't the flesh. It wasn't that, man, Stephen is like, man, he is, a, he is on it. Like, he is type A. He is good. He is, he is strong. It wasn't the flesh that motivated that. It was the grace of God. How do you progress? You continue as you started, being in awe and wonder of God's mercy and grace. And you're like, keep your eyes fixed on him. When you stand. The... Jesus, we look to you. God, when we we're just heard a story about for making this about us. God, we just it is, it's like we're under a spell, you know, like culture or flesh, the devil just is putting this all backwards in our minds. God, you have won us by your grace. And God, I pray that, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to keep our eyes off ourselves and our eyes on you. We don't have to prove ourselves to a job. We don't have to prove ourselves to a boss. We, don't have, to... we have been eternally approved by you. This is the way you've always worked. It's the way you worked with Abraham and everyone since. It's not by our flesh, it's by faith.